Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It's Friday, September 10th. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined on my screen by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz, looking uh, pretty dapper despite uh, some tough circumstances right now. We're here. It has been a terrible uh, three hours, I guess, just about. Maybe two, two hours, 40 minutes, somewhere around there. Baltimore Ravens obviously losing. Gus Edwards and potentially Marcus Peters. I think that through the grapevine, what I've heard is that Edwards is a done deal. I think that's also indicated by Devontae Freeman being signed, who likely is going to be elevated to the active roster on game day uh, from what I have heard, but yet to be determined all the way. And then Marcus Peters, apparently there is a slight bit of optimism that it is not a fully full-blown stage five ACL, but definitely that he's going to miss at least a good bit of time there. So uh, usually I tend to err on the side of disappointment in terms of injuries. Everyone always wants to speculate. Well, maybe it's a hyper No, he probably tore his ACL. So the Ravens lose two more before the season has started. That makes J.K. Dobbins, L.J. Fort, Marcus Peters, Gus Edwards. Am I forgetting anyone? Um, I think. I had forgotten about Fort earlier, which is another another feather in the cap of a, a day like today. It really makes you think back to that. But uh, that's all I got for my ACL count right now. I'll, I'll be sure to keep the log ready to be updated. There we go. Keep it, keep it, keep it fresh. Keep it live. Keep it ready. But to yeah, go. devastating losses. Yeah, it's it's not good, man. It's back to back plays in practice. Back to back plays in practice. These are two of your best players. And like it, you know, we as people, we seek to assign meaning to things when there is no meaning. We seek to find reasons for things when there is no reasoning, when there is no logic. 
And I understand the people who jump to conditioning as far as the players, who jump to conditioning as far as the field. How could this happen? How could this happen to J.K. Dobbins? How could this happen to Gus Edwards? How could this happen to Marcus Peters? How could this happen to L.J. Fort? There must be a reason for it. And, you know, I don't know if this is being the bearer of good news, bad news, logic, whatever, but there is no reason. It just really sucks, and the Ravens just have to forge on. They absolutely do. And to this point, I think that the Ravens were uh, – the, the national media kind of picked up on this doom and gloom that, like, the receivers had all been out and – the offensive line, yada, yada. When in reality, you know, they had been all right the last couple of weeks. The offensive line had come together. Marquise Brown's been back in practice. It felt like the Ravens erred on the side of caution with Brown and Boykin. They ultimately end up shutting down uh, Brashad Bateman and having him get groin surgery and missing at least the first three games. So probably get him back week four, week five. Week five probably feels realistic. So this is kind of doom and gloom, but in all actuality, like things have been quiet. J.K. Dobbins does go down. You hate to see that, but... Uh, you know, still having Gus Edwards made that kind of a, not a moot point. I don't want to say that, but, you know, a, a survivable injury. But compounding Edwards and Dobbins definitely is going to have some negative ramifications. I am high on Tyson Williams and, uh, you know, just generally that the Ravens expected yards per carry on a run play are like 4.6 yards. And I think that has to do with the combination of Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman's run concepts. So, that means that an average running back, the exact 50 per, 50th percentile of successful player will average 4.6 yards in this offense. So um, having Dobbins and having Edwards guys that are going to do well beyond that is fantastic. But having guys that can, you know, average 4.8 yards a carry, you're still going to have a successful ground attack. So those are not fun. I don't think those are def- those are injuries that, you know, derail the Ravens season. Maybe they limit their capacity to really beat up on some teams. But Marcus Peters, on the other hand, is a truly devastating injury. Um, you know, compounding Dobbins and Edwards, I don't want to say that's nothing. I don't want to kind of brush over that. It is definitely a loss. But Peters, to me, is such an extreme loss. The Ravens' ability to play aggressive, blitzing man and creeper and, and kind of zone blitz, fire scheme blitzes is predicated on the fact that they trust Marlon Humphrey and they trust Marcus Peters so incredibly much in single coverage and to lose Peters, a guy who is no, your far and away most productive kind of ball in the air ball Hawk as well is just bad for your scheme, bad for your turnovers, bad for your talent. And of course your depth, because now Anthony Averett is probably going to step in, take a lot of snaps. Jimmy Smith is there. Tavon young is there. Chris Westry is there. Um, they've, you know, had our Darius Washington in the slot. They have Chris Westry as well, but the likelihood that Jimmy Smith and Tavon Young and Anthony Averett, who people forget, you know, he did break a collarbone last year. I don't want to call him injury prone because of breaking a collarbone, but it just goes to show football players get hurt. The Ravens DBs always get hurt. It feels like DBs who are track athletes that have all these quick twitch muscles do get hurt. So the likelihood that you're going to be so much thinner is so much higher. The likelihood that Averett and Smith and Tavon Young all play 17 games feels like 0%. And that's just saying maybe one of them misses one game, but the likelihood that one of those guys, you know, misses six, eight games feels pretty likely, you know, is anyone surprised if Jimmy Smith or Tavon Young misses time? No, Um, that's not to knock them as a person or a player. It's just the way things have been. So trying to be realistic about it, the Ravens are likely going to be thinner at some point during this season than they ever anticipated. and, And earlier on, And even last year, you saw that Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey were healthy most of the year. Peters, I think, had an ankle late in the year that 
hobbled him a little bit, but he played through it. And I always just think back to that Browns game on Sunday night, the poo-poo game, where you have, I, th- I think Peters did get dinged up, had to come out for a little bit. Uh, I think Jimmy Smith was also hurt. And then suddenly the Browns go from inept to being able to throw the ball down the field with no inhibition. And I think that's because the Ravens are limited in how complex they can be on the back end and have to kind of tone down the looks that they give, less late rotations, less um, inverted coverage, less guys kind of switching or passing off coverage because they want to play more conservatively with less experienced players that aren't quite as talented. So, uh, you know, Marcus Peters is a big loss. And I think that's something that is going to result in, and, and you can go look and, it's not always accurate. I do love advanced metrics like Sports Info Solutions does war, which is really popular in baseball, but they do wins above replacement. And Marcus Peters is probably worth close to one full game of war, probably like 0.7, 0.8 games, which is a ton. That's a lot. And then compounding Edwards and Dobbins, you're probably losing like one and a half games alone off of not having them in the lineup. And then talking about, you know, maybe losing a guy like Anthony Averett, whose war won't be as high, but he still has war. So it's, it's, you know, it hurts now, but it could hurt a lot worse later. Um, it is what it is, man. It's, it's the nature of the game, the irony of this Ravens wired coming out and all that stuff. I was pissed when they played the starters. I was open about that on this podcast. I was open about that on Twitter. I was pissed. I didn't think the juice was worth the squeeze. I, I'm not trying to dunk on the fact that a guy got hurt. I was really, you know, I, I feel very bad for J.K. Dobbins. I feel bad for Edwards. I feel bad for Peters. I wish them speedy recoveries. I think they're all great players, great people, whatever. But if that happens to Lamar Jackson, your, your season's kind of completely over. So I just didn't think the juice was worth the squeeze then. But now we're talking about non-contact injuries in a non-contact practice without pads. There's not a lot you can do there. It, it just freaking happens. It's unfortunate. I, think, I believe what I heard was the Ravens shut down practice after it kind of happened on the second consecutive little play. And it was, you know, a drill and a drill. And then the Ravens just kind of packed it up, which... It's really uh, depressing in a way, but at the end of the day, they still have a lot of capable football players in this team, but they're just going to have to tap into that depth a lot earlier than anticipated. Yeah, that wired clip, it was was a rough watch. And I mean, it was as, I think, candid and honest as you'll see John Harbaugh. Like, John Harbaugh, like, the phrase uh, toxic positivity, I think, is uh, interesting and it gets thrown around a lot. I don't don't think John Harbaugh is, like, a toxically positive person, but, like, he's definitely positive in the... uh, in the face of a lot of long odds. And I think that's to his benefit a lot of the time. And I think being a little bit more honest in a case like this about playing the starters versus Washington and like, yeah, that got to me. Like I'm, I'm in a tough spot right now. Like saying that to his players, to his two of his top field generals, you know, Levine and Jackson and them kind of going back to him and sort of providing some comfort for him and saying like, yeah, you know what? We got your back. Like this could have happened at any time. And like, I think that was, interesting to see an interesting window into the psyche of where Harbaugh is at right now, where he feels like he can relate to his players. And I think that's really going to help him there. I am going to have to fix the lineups. Thank you, Davon. This is going to be, <laughs> listen, I was already playing with JK Dobbins and LJ Fort and all those guys. We'll, we'll figure that out in the Madden franchise for anyone wondering what the hell I'm talking about. But I think the, that sort of candor that he showed just a few weeks ago, I think that's going to help him here shutting down practice and sort of just, taking the time to process it, taking the time to sort of take stock of the situation and just sort of, it seems like mentally, like, you know, it, it can't get much worse than this right now. So like the, the fact that they were kind of already prepared for that with like losing Dobbins, knowing what to, knowing what to say, knowing what approach to take. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a comfort, but 
the way I'm looking at it right now, man, this kind of feels like uncharted waters. I mean, people are talking about the 2015 team, all the injuries that occurred there. That team was not very good, frankly. Like that, that was going to be an eight and eight team if they were fully healthy, in my opinion. Uh, you mentioned the 24, like the, team. like the two years after they were eight, eight, nine and seven. Yeah, exactly. Like it was, there was just a limited ceiling with what you could do with uh post, uh, Super Bowl Joe Flacco to a certain extent, or at least post injury Joe Flacco. Um, so it just, you know, it, it feels like they're in relatively uncharted waters right now, as far as all that goes. But for the people that, and there are some people that I saw on social media that are kind of already going to the seasons over going in the tank and stuff like that. I get it. But like, I don't know, man. I like that that wired clip. It showed me that Harbaugh and Jackson are on a wavelength. Like I don't think he's been on a wavelength with any player right now. And Jackson is still one of the best players in the NFL. So I think that's that's huge. I think Harbaugh is for I put this out on Twitter, I think in a reply to someone that for all the flack that Harbaugh gets about like not necessarily having a specialty, you know, he's a special teams guy. There's not really like an offensive or a defensive bent with him. I think his specialty is being the rah-rah guy and like, you know, rallying the troops and win one for the Gipper in times of crises. And that, you know, you might not think that a thing like that matters, but knowing what to say in a situation like this is big. And I think he's the guy to be able to do something like that. As much as you like a young coach like a Kevin Stefanski, or as much as like some people might be excited by the prospect of getting this young offense. This ain't his first rodeo. Exactly. And it would be the first rodeo for some other guys. So I think he's he's going to be ready to handle it. You mentioned just the math of the fact that like they're they're losing a lot of points with EPA. They're losing a lot of games with uh, war or not a lot necessarily games, but like one game that's pretty freaking significant. So it's it's definitely huge. But, you know, crazier things have happened in sports than Tavon Young having a comeback season, for instance. A crazier thing than that, for example, would be losing two of your star players on back-to-back plays in practice. So I don't want to just like be positive for the sake of it. I legitimately feel like they have a chance to turn this thing around or not necessarily turn around, but at least keep it on track, keep it on a sufficient track for where they need to be. It's not going to be looking quite the same. I think it's going to be a little bit uglier. You're not going to have the same amount of splash plays on defense. I think Cole was talking about how this is going to have some splash effects in the pass rush as far as losing Peters because of some of the stuff that they like to do with blitzing. Uh, with him and some of their defensive backs. There, there's a lot of layers to that. You're losing a lot of automatic short yardage with Gus Edwards. That's tough. I mean, you bring in, and I mean, we didn't even touch on the fact that Justice Hill, there's another one, Achilles, he's out for the year. They signed Levy and Bell to the practice squad. We haven't recorded since then. They signed Devontae Freeman to the practice squad today. Shefty, this is the most decorated practice squad of all time. Sick. So they're making moves to improve the running back room. They're going to be fine at running back. I think ultimately they're going to be fine at corner. It's going to hurt pretty bad, but the, I think they'll figure it out. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now, but it's it's just a, a massive blow, and the fact that it was delivered back-to-back literally at the exact same time, like I'm sitting there at work, like buried in you know, a ton of shit. I, I've been pretty busy. I, I'm happily sitting here. I, you know, I was talking with you and Vaz and some guys about, you know, like, let's get some good Raiders content going. So I get up all 22. I've got my VPN on so I can go back and watch all 22, paying freaking God knows how much money to do this crap. Fuck you, Game Pass. You better have all 22. Anyway, yep. sitting there happily, you know, making myself a video. I'm doing my little illustrations, clicking about how the Patriots did this little cool coverage to pass off Darren Waller and then trick the uh, – trick the Raiders and whatever. And I get this alert on my phone. When I like look down, I saw Gus Edwards it was from ESPN fantasy because I have him on my fantasy team. 
So I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? Like, oh, maybe it's just, you know, TJ or Field Yates, whatever the hell his name is, says Gus Edwards could have a big week or something. I was like, oh, didn't really see it. 30 seconds later, I look at it again. I see Marcus Peters, Gus Edwards, and the thing ACL. I think I got lightheaded. It was it was not a fun feeling. So, you know, we're not here to to make people feel bad for, for having negativity. I think we wanted to start out and kind of mourn the fact that they've had some horrible issues. But going even further, I pulled up some SIS information, some advanced metrics. Marcus Peters was 16th in the NFL in pass points saved. Uh, for instance, Xavier Howard was first with 50. Jair Alexander second with 46. Marlon Humphrey in third with 43.9. So many points they saved their defense. And where did he go? Marcus Peters was 16th in the entire NFL. He saved the Ravens 32.2 points, according to Sports Info Solutions. Um, his EPA, the EPA when throwing into his coverage, he took away one point. Um, his war was a 0.7. So out of one game being one win, that means that Marcus Peters is worth 0.7 wins That's... as opposed to a median player. So it was a, a pretty pretty close there. But yeah, you know, it, it's going to affect things. I think that's definitely the most devastating injury that the Ravens have had so far. But I also feel that people somewhat feel woe as me right now as a fan base. You know, you're thinking about it. And then this weekend, you know, guess what happens? There's going to be torn ACLs. It happens every single fucking week. Last year, Nick Bosa, week one, done. Devastating loss. The 49ers went through a really, really bad situation as well. And does it suck? Yes. If the Ravens are able to, to you know, Stay relatively healthy. They they still have their offensive line. You know, Hollywood's healthy. Sammy Watkins is healthy. They'll they'll get Rashad Bateman back eventually. They've got Mark Andrews. Um, if they're able to to bust out some wins, you know, and and show that this team can go places still, then Eric DaCosta will get on the damn phone ahead of the trade deadline and do what needs to be done. And it is what it is. They had to do that for Marcus Peters a couple years ago. So you know, the season's not over. There's none of that stuff going on. The running backs. This is going to be a true, and, and I hate to say it, and I'm, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, I am not in the running backs don't matter camp at all. I think there is value. PFF has started releasing articles about how, well, maybe actually running backs do matter. I'm like, hmm, crazy. Um, so whatever. But this is going to be a, a case study. The Ravens have run for 3,000 yards in back-to-back -back years. Last year, which was a down year for them running the ball as opposed to 2019, they led the NFL by like 400 yards rushing. So if they're able to stay in that productivity with this scheme, with that quarterback, and with Tyson Williams, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, freaking Digglesworth, Needlesdick, whatever guy they can sign off of free agency, whatever trades they make, this is an interesting case study for, for what can happen, especially in a run-heavy, kind of run-friendly, running back-friendly scheme. Gus Edwards comes up in 2018 as a UDFA, gets promoted for the first time, ends up running for 95 yards a game. So the fact that Gus Edwards is such a devastating loss is interesting in a case study for, you know, how they might be able to find a diamond in the rough again and replace it to an extent. I think they're really going to miss Edwards in those short yardage situations. He is the best power runner in the last decade to find his third or fourth and two or less. He converts 90, I think it's 89.7% of those situations. The next highest is Ezekiel Elliott with, I think, 83.6%. And the difference between him and Ezekiel Elliott in second place is the difference between Ezekiel Elliott and like the ninth best running back. So they're going to miss that. You miss J.K. Dobbins' explosiveness. Tyson Williams, the, the floor is yours, my dude. A guy who's had ACL injuries himself in college. So like, whatever, you know, we've already kind of gone crazy on Twitter. I know, Jake, you're on the same side as me. 
The Ravens practice field is fine. These were non-contact injuries on grass. The Ravens practice facility is beautiful. The grass is lush and thick. They don't practice on turf. Someone said, well, didn't it rain in Baltimore today or something? I mean, Jamison Hensley puts out a video. It's a beautiful day. They're jogging through drills. It's no pads, no contact. Like, not a walkthrough, but, but like, half speed, and this shit still happens. So it's the nature of the game. It's unfortunate. Um, the Raven season is not over, but they're going to have to make some moves and cut maybe a couple plays out of their playbook for now and move on. They got the Raiders on Monday night, and we're going to get into all that. I'm still excited for the NFL. We have Bucks, Cowboys at 830. I'm still pumped. We've got fantasy back. We've got DFS back. We've got NFL football back, college football as well. So don't let this completely ruin, you know, a great thing, a great time of the year. And the Ravens have been fantastic. They've had such great injury luck over the last couple of years. One of the biggest reasons why they went 14-2 and two and got the one seed is because they didn't lose anyone for like a 10-week stretch in 2019. So sometimes the bell swings the other way. The blade comes down and stabs you in the foot when you drop it. It is what it is. It sucks, but season ain't over, and it's time to, to move forward uh, and try and project what's going to happen. For me, it kind of sucks because I did all these statistical projections. I had a couple of nice guys at some different companies help me, and I was like, okay, well, I, I'll start with Lamar Jackson and, and kind of start to fill in the rest from there. I had the run game just about done. Oh, J.K. Dobbins tears his ACL. Okay, well, that's going to you know obviously skew everything, including the passing numbers. And then I start just as I'm about to be able to post my Gus Edwards and my receiving projections. Uh, then that happens as well, so that was – a little 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 shot in the foot as well but hey we ultimately wish edwards and peters and dobbins and fort and all those guys speedy strong recoveries it's it's terrible but hey that's the nature of the beast when you're 220 pounds muscle bound playing a violent sport 25 30 years old and uh you you know your muscles grow but your ligaments don't and the stronger you are the more force you put on those ligaments as you know jake you uh, muscled your way into an acl tear a few years ago and moving forward <sighs> it's going to be going to be tough, but hey, on Monday night, that shit will uh, kind of fade into the back and we'll have Ravens football. That's what it is on Monday night. Time to go to war. You know, it's we can't be in wallowing in this negativity seasons over all that kind of. You know, I, I hesitate to say nonsense, but you know, kind of nonsense. Like you, you gotta, you gotta move forward. Got to see what you got to do. You got to see what you got in Mr. Trenton Cannon, uh, the most recent, I believe, active roster signing that they made. It feels like it's going to be some smattering of him, Tyson Williams, Le'Veon Bell, or Devontae Freeman. Maybe one of the two. Maybe both. Probably not. But who knows? It's just time to. Uh, Time to get going, man. And uh, maybe they make a trade. I mean, there's going to be options out there. We've you know seen people expound upon them already. We've got Todd Brown down here saying, RG <laughs> RG3 saying on Twitter, the Ravens should trade for Mark Ingram since he knows the blocking concepts. I think I'm good on Mark Ingram personally, um, but that's that's an idea. There's uh, there's options. I mean, Philip Lindsay, like there's Melvin Gordon maybe. Philip Lindsay, I think, is a great option. He was really strong on power runs. Keep keep going. Jim. Yep, exactly. I mean, there's there's you know, a bevy of guys out there that are just kind of waiting to be plucked. So whether you want to just stick with this kind of free agent route, see what you have in Freeman and Bell now on the practice squad, you're going to get a look at one or both of them in week one. So that's going to help you out at the running back spot. As far as corner goes, I mean, it's it's just time for Tavon Young to, you know, S or get off the P here and like kind of kind of figure this thing out. And like if he's going to get injured for the year, like that sucks. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, 
this is the only chance he's really going to have probably. So I'm rooting for him big time. I'm rooting for Anthony Averett big time to uh, kind of live up to all the all the hype and the praise that Wink Martindale has uh, kind of put upon him this offseason. And we're both big fans of Anthony here, and he's a friend of the pod. So definitely rooting for him to make it happen. Westry, I mean, they keep Westry, another long, strong guy who's going to, you know, Peters isn't necessarily as, as big as him, or, you know, you know what I mean? But he feels like he could maybe be kind of a, a reasonable stand-in size-wise at the very least. So there, there are some options here. There's maybe some options on the cornerback market. People kind of poo-pooing the, the move to trade away Sean Wade. I think uh, you and I both heard through back channels, not to get into that too much, that that was kind of an inevitability no matter what. So there's options out there at both of these positions should they want to make a move. But basically, it's just kind of batting down the hatches, do what Harbaugh does best going into week one and just fire the boys up. Go get a win for the go get a win for Gus and for Marcus Peters. Bingo. And I am um, looking here at Philip Lindsay in power runs, which the Ravens had J.K. Dobbins led the NFL in power runs, power concepts, man gap, whatever you want to call it. J.K. Dobbins had 46 carries, 205 yards. Gus Edwards had 42 for 252. Uh, then it was like Hunt, Drake, Chubb to round out the top five. And we've got Mr. Philip Lindsay. In Denver, who had 25 carries on power concepts for 171 yards, a touchdown. He forced five broken tackles or missed tackles and picked up six first downs. So I think Philip Lindsay is a spot-on option. Uh, he did have a 55-yard touchdown in week eight against the Chargers, it looks like, and uh, had some, some damn good yards. 20-yard run in week six against the Patriots. Uh, he had, geez, man, he had, he had some pretty explosive runs here. It looks like 18 yards against the dolphins in week 11. So I think that's a really strong option. Ravens, and uh, Ravens, Ravens tried to sign him too out of, uh, out of school and he chose to go to the Broncos. Local guy from, uh, Colorado grew up in Colorado. So I think that would be a really good trade. And I think you could get it pretty cheap, especially in a couple of weeks. Uh, Adrian Peterson, another another weird name you can check out if you know, but that's kind of the Frank, same in the same vein as Bell and Devontae Freeman. Frank Gore, but uh, those Frank Gore, yeah, that would that would make sense. Cole Jackson's liked him a lot, and then I mean C.J. Henderson, the first round pick from the Jaguars, whatever the hell's going on in Jacksonville with the fire sales they're always having. Urban Meyer, there's there's been a lot of trade rumors there. So uh, kid who's, if I recall correctly, his tape wasn't riddled with uh, with press man and. Uh, I think it was a lot more off stuff, but Marcus Peters plays off a good bit. So there's some some talent out there. And again, I think the Ravens can make moves. They just need to kind of, I mean, right now you got to be in full-blown fucking get, if you're Eric DaCosta, you're getting yourself a Dunkin' Donut of Coca-Cola and sitting down in your freaking lazy boy chair and just like giving yourself five minutes, like, good Lord, man, it's going to be a busy season for me. So uh, I think they'll, they'll hop to once they kind of get through this game and assess some more situations. But you know, the season is not over by any means. You you wish the Ravens a clean bill of health, and we do have the Lizard King himself. Uh, I will I will I will read out this tweet. Sammy Watkins, who has changed his uh, handle to King Me. I think it's been as I embark on this. It has been that yeah for a while. I think. Okay, as I embark on this journey this year, I need everyone: my family, my friends, my coaches, my teammates, the fans, everyone. We are all we got, and we have all we need. I love you all. Let's get it. I ask God to cover me and my teammates to ensure a healthy season and to keep us covered. So, uh, you know, Ronnie Stanley hits him with an amen. I think it's the best way to to close out that conversation. You know, we, we touched on those points. It is unfortunate, but we've got an NFL season ahead of us. We've got a Baltimore Ravens season ahead of us, and uh, we've, we've got some more to cover. So it sucks, but hey, keep your head up. 
Absolutely. Uh, so is that all we got on that? Move on to projections? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So how do you want to do this? Let's look at, uh, I mean, let's, let's, for now, let's look at the Ravens' first four games. Let's look at Vegas. Let's look at Kansas City. Let's look at Detroit. And let's look to Denver. Um, I think this stretch gets a little bit more interesting. And I think that's the point where we'll we'll learn a lot about this team over the first four games. They're traveling a good bit, traveling to Vegas, traveling back to Baltimore, traveling to Detroit, and then to Denver, which can take a toll. So an interesting stretch there. Um, where do you where do you see the worst case, and why is it the worst case in terms of looking back and saying the Ravens are maybe you know two and two, one and three? Um, why did it happen, and how did they get there, and what do they do moving forward? Before any of this happened, I had them starting at two and two. Funny that you mentioned that. So it's interesting. I think you look at the travel. We've already we've talked about this actually a little bit already. You start off at Vegas, so that's that's kind of travel. Not really. You're going out for week one, so I feel like that's kind of a little bit negates it a little bit. But then you're back home for Kansas City on a Sunday night game, so I, th- I believe that's going to be a short week. So that's going to be even a little bit more draining than go to Detroit, which is still Eastern time zone. Then you go to Denver, which I think is mountain time. So you're going West Coast time in Vegas, back to the East Coast for Kansas City, which I've already wrote in as a loss. Then you go to Detroit, which I I have that as a win, spoiler. But then it's out to Denver again, who I think is a very talented roster with a good defense. And the fact that you just lost your best running back, like I think think he was your best running back. We've talked about this. I think he was their best running back, even with J.K. Dobbins in the picture. So you just lost your best running back. You already lost J.K. Dobbins. The fact that you lose a guy that could potentially cover one of these young, good wide receivers that Denver has. I mean, they have a smattering of them, no matter who's throwing the football. I think that was a tough game, no matter what. And I had that as a loss. I had them going 1-0 at Las Vegas, 1-1 home to Kansas City, 2-1 at Detroit, 2-2 at Denver. So it's it was already a tough stretch for me, and now this complicates it even further, but I probably still would stick with 2-2. Two two. Yeah, I think it's going to be a bumpy road to start out. Who knows how they come out of Las Vegas you know, health-wise at this point. Um, But Vegas is a really interesting matchup. I think there's a couple unknowns, and we'll get into that a little bit more so later on in this show, but I think there's a lot of variables that people kind of haven't touched on a ton. Gus Bradley coming in, the Ravens having an under-center offense that they use, some some weird things that people haven't seen yet, Um, some unknowns there. And what Sammy Watkins can do, you know, Sammy Watkins' familiarity with those players individually that they have in Las Vegas, you know, playing in that division for the last couple of years and things like that. So uh, that that game, I mean, we'll get to that later. But hey, KC is looking like a, you know, we're I'm sticking to it. I'm not going to let myself drink any KC Kool-Aid. Ravens are going to take an L there. They're going to start one and one. I think they can go kind of take their frustrations out on a Detroit team that uh, is lacking themselves, has some weird injuries themselves. Taylor Decker, their kind of star-ish left tackle is out. And now they are looking to try to move Penny Sewell to left tackle after he's been playing right tackle. And, uh, you know, DeAndre Swift has a groin injury and some weird stuff going on there. So I think they can go take their frustrations out there. But you're absolutely right. Heading to Denver. Teddy Bridgewater, and I've heard some interesting arguments. I was listening to the Ringers podcast with, I think, like uh, Ben Solak and whoever the hell's on there. But they were talking about how people have this perception that like Teddy Bridgewater is this really conservative quarterback and Drew Locke is this really wild quarterback. But then you go look and see how many interceptions Teddy Bridgewater's thrown and how many Drew Locke has thrown, and it's like not a huge difference. So this perception that Bridgewater is going to be this really conservative guy that 
uh, doesn't take any chances, and he's he's gonna you know do what it takes to win all that is I think kind of bullshit. And going back and looking at what Chetty Bridgewater did in Carolina to get the ball to Robbie Anderson over top, to get the ball to DJ Moore, spread the ball out to some guys and, and air the thing out. You know, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a little underrated. I think he gets this stupid moniker of being this check down quarterback that uh, maybe doesn't have a high average distance to target, but he can throw some teardrops with real good accuracy down the sideline. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I always have a, I uh, was really frustrated to see his ACL injury. Uh, so, so rolling through there, you know, there's some, some interesting injury conversations as well. It doesn't just happen to the Ravens, but I, I think that is now a very tough game. Bradley Chubb has a weird situation going on with him having a warrant for driving infractions. It doesn't feel like he's going to, you know, miss that game at that point in week four because of that. Probably can pay his way through that and maybe, you know, needs to do a couple weekends in jail or something weird over time. But tough matchup, long story short. I think they've got a good offensive line. They've got a great secondary. They've got receiving talent. Um, you know, they've, they've got a couple backs that can do some damage. So I think they're a very balanced team. And ultimately I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them two and two. And I think, like you said, so much traveling and it's, you know, going to be interesting to see. It, it's just a lot of uncertainty right now in terms of kind of what's going to be the steady hand for the Ravens and, and going to Denver is never easy because of the altitude and all that shit. So, um, travel plus altitude plus injuries equals, you know, if that, if you can come out two and two though, you're, you're fine. You're fine. You can assess where you are. Usually the Ravens start out stronger in September. Typically, you know, October is their struggle bus, but maybe they can push that uh, a little bit forward, get through some shit and pump out two wins and then move forward, get into the grind of the season. So I, I did have the Ravens going 12 and five on the year. I guess we can kind of talk about the season and where we were at. I had the Ravens going 12 and five. I had them getting swept by the Browns and sweeping the Steelers. Um, I don't really have a ton of rhyme or reason to that at this point. This is, but I do have. Okay, there we go. Yep. Yeah. So I don't have a ton of rhyme or reason to it, but it just feels like it's you know a good situation for Lamar to finally catch the Steelers, who uh, have had some major losses. I don't think they have a ton of depth in their defensive line. They actually have some issues already with depth, with Tyson Alualu being out. And Stefan Tuitt is on the injured reserve to start the season, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I think they have a thinner defense that kind of loses steam in the second half. I think the Browns are going to get stronger as the year goes on. And the Browns also get the Ravens at home. And then off of a bye, I can't recall. Let's let's see. I'm trying to look at your... It is... Uh, I have the Browns right here. So I had the Brownies 11-6, and six, and they get the Ravens uh, after they play. So they get the Ravens at home after a long stretch. And they, they have two games away... I have them winning both at Cincinnati, at New England, then they're home to Detroit, and then they go to the Ravens, then they get a bye, then they play the Ravens again at home. Right. So they go Ravens, by Ravens, in Baltimore, then bye, then home. And at that point, it feels like, you know, the Ravens could be, uh, could be pretty thin, possibly. And the Browns, I think, are a team that, with Joe Woods in year two, with a lot of new faces... They came on really strong in the second half last year. I think that's going to be the case again. I think they're super deep and super talented. So I did have a sweep of the Steelers and a sweep by the Browns. And the Ravens ended up taking the five seed and going to Tennessee in what I did. But I do have the Ravens losing one more game now, I think. So I think I'm going to put them at 11 and six instead uh, and, and kind of sneaking into the playoffs there. I was thinking the same thing. I had them at 12 and five as well. And I had the Browns, like you said, at 11 and six. I mean, that might be a loss. To the Browns. I might have them getting swept by the Browns now because I had them splitting. And what that would do is so I had 
I had, I had kind of a weird, weird some weird predi- projections because I just picked all the games and then went in. And That's what I did too. Yeah, exactly. So I had Bills 15-2 and two as the one seed. A little bold. Chiefs 14-3 and three as a two. Ravens were 12-5. and five. They were the three. Titans 11-6-4. and six, four. Chargers 11-6. and six. They had the head-to-head over Browns who were the sixth seed at 11-6. And, and the Steelers were an 8-9 and nine final wild card. So, and I, I hate these new schedules, by the way. They look awful. And so I think what I would probably do is give the Browns a division now, which sucks to say, but I think the Ravens are probably more likely a wild card at this point. Yeah, I, uh, I had the Steelers at 9-8, and eight, and I think I had the Bengals at 6-11, and 11, if I'm not mistaken. I think the Bengals could be another team that kind of comes on strong. I think Burrow's going to knock some rust off, uh, and they'll be able to get into some some interesting situations down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Zach Taylor guy, but I do think that the Bengals have a wealth of talent. I think their defense is a little bit underrated in terms of the kind of balance and depth that they gave themselves this past year. And, uh, yeah, so let's see. I, I had them, I think, finishing 14th in the AFC. The rest of my AFC projections, so I had the Bills going 13-4 and four with the number one seed. Had them going 7-2 and two at home, 6-2 and two away, 4-2 and two in their division. Had the Chiefs at the number two seed. I think I gave the Bills the head-to-head win over the Chiefs. They do square off this year. I think the Bills can uh, can be one of the teams that can give the Chiefs a run, catch them at the right time, and, and definitely take them down. I think there's not a big disparity there in terms of talent and coaching. I had the Browns, number three, 12-5. Titans, 10-7. and seven. Ravens, 12-5. and I'm going to bump that down to 11-6 and six now after these injuries. Just knocking a game off. Marcus Peters, I think, is worth about a game. Chargers, 10-7. and seven. Dolphins 10 and 7. So I had the Chargers and the Dolphins, both new entrants to the playoffs, squaring off against the Dolphins playing the Chiefs and the Chargers playing the Browns. I had the Patriots just narrowly missing out at 10 and 7. I think the Patriots are going to be a pretty solid team this year. I like Mac Jones. I like the pieces that they've added. They basically went all in to make sure that this is a playoff caliber team. I don't love the Colts, but I had them at 9 and 8. Steelers at 9 and 8. I had the Raiders at 8 and 9. Broncos at 7 and 10. Jets at 6 and 11. Uh, I had the Jaguars and the Texans being pretty bad, but I I think I had the Texans winning one game and the Jaguars winning four games, if I'm not mistaken. So that was my AFC picture. Uh, NFC-wise, just running through. Had the Bucs, number one seed, 14-3. and Um, Tom Brady coming off of that meniscus surgery is a little bit of an underrated story, but too much talent, well-coached, beautiful in the trenches, beautiful in the secondary and the receiving position. I think they're going to be a a definite juggernaut. Packers 12-5. and 49ers 11 and 6. Those are the top three seeds. Washington football team I had taking the NFC Beast at 10 and 7 over the Cowboys, who I had finishing at 9 and 8. The Rams at 11 and 6, taking a wild card. The Vikings and Seahawks both at 10 and 7, rounding it out. So I had the uh, Seahawks playing the Packers in the first round in Green Bay. The Vikings playing the 49ers in San Francisco. And then the Rams playing the Washington football team in Washington. I had the Cowboys and the Cardinals just missing out at 9 and 8. Giants at 8 and 9. Saints were a tough team to pick. Um, they're they're weird, man. They they you, you just can't count out Sean Payton that much, but they just don't have receiving options right now. Their I would give them like beat up. they they're going to win weird games, aren't they? Because I would give them like a loss here, and then I would I think I had them beating like the Bucks and like some other teams, and like that's not that crazy with them being in that division. But I think I had them beating the Bucks, maybe like the uh, Packers as well, or something like that. So. Or no, they they don't beat the Packers because they play in week one, so I had the Packers winning that. But yeah, the Saints were a wild card for me as well. I gave them the seven uh, seed at nine and eight. I am not like 
I feel like everyone's kind of just assuming this Jameis comeback story is like gospel and he's going to throw for like 30 and 10 and like, you know, be an MVP candidate. I'm not really buying that, but I think he'll be like serviceable enough and like Sean Payton will do enough weird shit that like he'll be able to manufacture some wins out of that. So Saints nine and eight, seven seed Cardinals, 10 and seven, six seed. I got NFC West is pretty beastly division here. So I had Cardinals 10 and seven as a six seed facing. They would face the Rams as the two seed, I think. Uh, at 12 and five, uh, the Seahawks were my five seed at 12 and five as well, but they lost out on the tiebreaker to the Rams. So they would face the Cowboys, I think at 10 and seven. I'm kind of a little confused at how this shit. Okay. So the Cardinals would go to the Buccaneers. The Seahawks would go to the Cowboys who were my 10 and seven seven at two, six at three, five at four. Yeah. So it's like kind of inverse on itself. Yeah. So saints would be at Rams. That's Rams all the way, I think. And then we, we don't have to predict those but cardinals would be at buccaneers seahawks would be at cowboys who were my 10 and 7 four seed and then vikings were eight and nine panthers were eight and nine i had four teams at seven ten falcons wft eagles 49ers bears six and 11 giants four and 13 lions four and 13 but yeah as far as the afc like i think the texans are <laughs> you gave them one win i think i gave them one win as well i had the colts really bad i had the colts at four and 13 like i i don't know what it is i've had like bad vibes about them but going into this exercise i wouldn't have thought i would pick them for four and t- 13 but when you're just picking the games and then you like look at the final tally it's like oh shit i think they're gonna be pretty bad this year so i got the colts at four and 13 jag six and 11 jets six and 11 two good young quarterbacks i think are good enough to account for a couple wins there Bengals six and 11 as well kind of the same story broncos seven and ten pat seven and ten raiders and dolphins eight and nine just miss out behind the steelers who has the tiebreaker on them both Bingo. I, uh, the Jets, to me, I, I kind of forgot how shitty their cornerback situation was. And their secondary, you know, they've got uh, Marcus May back there, who's uh, probably a top five, top ten safety for sure. But other than that, they've got kind of, Bri- what's his name, Bryce Hall. Uh, not a whole lot back there. They've got a bunch of young, low, kind of dr- lowly drafted guys. Robert Sala, you think, is going to be able to coach that defense up. They lose Carl Lawson as well for the year with, a, I believe, an AC or no, an Achilles. Uh, after they just signed him to a four-year, $70 million deal. So that's definitely devastating. And I thought that would be a pretty damn good team. And I, I kind of was like picking, I was like, do I really, th- I think I got the Jets to like eight and nine-ish. Then I went back and looked at their roster. And I was like, wow, they have very little secondary. It's going to be tough for them against probably the Dolphins and the Patriots and the Bills playing in a tough division. So team that I think could be spunky if they can figure out to get how to get some quality cornerback play. But Gives a little insight into maybe how good this Ravens secondary is, even after losing Marcus Peters versus a team like the Jets, who have not a whole lot going on there. But yeah, um, tough, tough to kind of do this exercise and then have the news that we had. But uh, I feel like that Rams matchup for Baltimore could get pretty tough uh, later in the year, maybe having a limited secondary and and kind of the things that Sean McVay can do. But uh, having Stafford there as Stafford has been such a polarizing topic of discussion this year where there's people who think he's basically very average people who think he's like an MVP caliber player that's been lost in Detroit. And, and there's, I'm, I'm just kind of, as always, just kind of in the middle of those two things. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's an upgrade from golf in terms of uh, rhythm and confidence and ability to, to make something happen in second windows and things like that. But I, uh, I do like the Rams for sure. I, you know what uh, I think? Stuart Laverty. I, I think this is a little bit of a uh, McVeigh peacocking tour. 
I think he's a little tired of all the, oh, Kyle Shanahan and Cliff Kingsbury, all these young, hot guys sure. that I've been associated with are getting all this pub. Don't forget what I did in 2017 and 2018. I think he's out for blood, and I think kind of regardless of whether Stafford is a lead or not, I'm with you where I think he'll be good, but nothing like too crazy, but just kind of what exactly what McVay needs to kind of get back to the top of the heap of the uh, young, exciting kind of innovators. Oh, the Rams, another team that had Cam Akers go down with an Achilles and Daryl Henderson has been uh, unable to practice and they had to go get Sony Michelle. Damn that for happening when it happened. I love Sony Michelle. I always have loved Sony Michelle. He's such a good power runner, such a good like pro style runner. That would have been money. He's young. He's determined. I think he's out for blood. Had a lot of people talking on his name, calling him a bust as well. I like what he's going to be able to do in that system. Uh yeah, but I, I like the Rams. I like the Rams. They they are on a they're kind of hanging by a thread health wise as well. They're an interesting team to me, and I, I think you know they have they're such a top heavy model with Donald and Ramsey, and you know how much they pay their receivers and they pay these top notch guys. Something happens to one of them, they're in a really shitty place. So they're a team that's kind of hanging on by a thread as well. Um, I really I. I I thought when I went did that exercise that I would have the Steelers winning 10 or 11 games, but hard schedule, and I just didn't have it. I thought they would be a playoff team. I do think they'll be a winning team. Uh, TJ Watt signing a massive extension today. I think four years, $116 million. Your tweet was hilarious. This stupid freaking TJ Watt busting into the Rooney's office to tell him, I'll take, oh, I'll only take $116 million, Mr. Rooney. I'll only become the highest paid defensive player ever. Because I'm such a good guy. Yeah, what a, what a, what a Paul Bunyan-esque, John Wayne-esque figure. Yeah, whatever happened to Gary Cooper, guys like that. Fuck that. That's such, like, that's <laughs> such, What is Sheffy doing? He's allowing agents to write, you know, copy for him now to, like, a, what to well, say. Well, that's how he gets his inside scoops through the agents. Yeah, I know. It's just like he he's writing these flowery novels about T.J. Watt and his fucking contract negotiations. That You know, when I'm over here crying in my, you know, Crying in my cornflakes. I, I don't need that today, Shefty. Let's get it together. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. Um, yeah, we will have BD Williams joining here. It is a little bit of a fluid situation. I don't know if you want to end the stream in a little bit, and we can conclude once he maybe – can we? if he goes in the waiting room, can we do it that way? A little – little. Oh uh, Yeah, it's fine. We can keep going. Finally. Okay, we we can do it live then, whatever. We'll, we'll get BD on. I can give yeah, him uh, – We'll do it live. We'll do it live. So, yeah, this is going to be our guest for... So this is a weird episode. We weren't even actually planning on going live. Uh, we were going to have BD, who is uh, with the... Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the Raiders SB Nation page, um, but he is with... Silver them. and Black Pride, I believe. Silver and Black Pride, something to that effect. So he's uh, he's a really good writer for them. He does some uh, pretty... He actually has done some really good schematic breakdowns that you and I have gone to over the past couple months to get a look at the Raiders and kind of what they've... Uh, what they've got going on and uh his his Twitter background is the tape don't lie. So you know that's my kind of guy. Exactly. He's your your exact type of uh your exact type of dude. And you know, listen, nobody loves football more than me, so he's he's right there with me as well. What is his uh Twitter at, by the way, so I can put it out there? At BD Williams eighteen. BD Williams eighteen. So we're plugging the man before he comes on, full disclosure, getting a little little look behind the the curtains. But we had a couple questions in here. We can hit those while waiting for BD to join. From the stream, Stuart Laverty, do you think it could be a blessing in disguise to play the Browns and Steelers so late in the season? Should hopefully allow for the offensive line and running back room to get used to the scheme. Yeah, I think that is an important point that 
it would have been really devastating to have, let's say, that same stretch be weeks two, three, and four or something crazy and have the Browns kind of kick your ass a couple times while you're figuring things out, have the Steelers wedged in there as well who start hot or very well coached. Um, I feel like the Steelers, you know, they faded out last year. I'm not shocked to see the same thing happen, a hot start for them, and they kind of lose steam. So it, it definitely should allow the Ravens, if they can stay healthy enough to be a truly competitive team, uh, which they are right now, but, you know, you never know what's going to happen. These these injuries have been piling up, but do you think it's a blessing in disguise? Yes, I absolutely do. I think that was a great question. Those divisional games are like, you know, NBA three-point contest, you're shooting that money ball at the end. If you win a couple divisional games in a row there, you're in great shape. You're directly knocking your opponents down, uh, your guys that – your teams that you're battling against for a playoff spot. So I think that's a great question. WB Caps, whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type? What is it? What is the thing he does? The, yeah, I don't know what that is, oh, but I like it. Nothing. Do you think guys think Le'Veon Bell could have a comeback run with the Ravens' offense? I, I, I don't know, man. Like the person is not a nice person. He's not a nice guy. He has not been, um, you know. I feel like he's a gym rat, but maybe not a hard worker. Meant like in terms of being in the facility, getting shit right, you know, committing to the culture, but. This is the this is the Ravens thing that always pisses Vasilios off. Or Vasily, Jesus, not Vasilios. <laughs> Vasily. The God, my Greek friends. Vasilis. Got too many Greek friends. Vasilis. This is what pisses him off. The Ravens should be able to handle and shape. If they're this culture, this culture, culture, culture. You've got Justin Houston, Clayus Campbell, Anthony Weaver, the defensive line coach on Wired. They're talking all the time about, oh, this culture is great here. Everybody loves to play here. It's so nice being able to just focus on football. Well, then you should be able to have Le'Veon Bell come in and give you, you know, 100% of whatever he's got left in the tank. I think his statistics on the Jets were shaped by a dog shit offensive line and magnified by a horrible play caller. So, you know, you look at that Jet season, he averages 3.2 yards per carry. That offense was pathetic. Um, you know, Bell has definitely been a radical NFL type of player. He, he writes off Andy Reid, does all this crap, but uh, they signed him and he can catch the ball and he probably is still really good in pass protection. I haven't really gone back and watched because I just didn't care to. I now watched, I'm going I, to probably have to. I watched a little bit. It, it was not great. He's, For the Chiefs, did you go back and yeah, watch I watched. Yeah, I watched the Chiefs. He, like... He's got some of the same traits, like the patience is there. It's it's literally a joke at this point that he's patient, but like it's still there. He knows kind of how to stop on a dime and all this kind of stuff. And you know, he he works the uh, works the angles, hits the holes, but it's just he has had at least no juice from what I watched. Like, and the pass catching, it was there. Like the different type of involvement, like you know, he he wasn't going for a hundred yards in pretty much any game or anything from the PFR stats that I saw. So the the stuff that I was watching, it was just kind of chunking, like rotational back that like comes in on passing downs and like he catches with his hands. Like he's a little bit more intuitive in that way than some running backs that you'll find off the street. But like, it's kind of like the, uh, the movie memento where like his, his memory is there and like, he kind of like, he knows by muscle memory what to do, but like his just the physical capability is not there. If that analogy makes literally, any he's, sense. he's worn down. He's taken a beating. And he's probably lost explosiveness with age. And I think you can say the same about Devontae Freeman. They're, they're probably, you know, you look back at what they were a couple of years ago. They've lost a step, but they're professionals. They know how to take handoffs. They know how to, you know, read pass pro. And, you know, they know how to execute, but they don't have the juice anymore. So it's uh, it's interesting. Jimmy Dean, should the Ravens spend a draft pick to trade for a running back in this scheme? A lot of picks to work with. 
do have a lot of picks. It's a, if you just gotta, you gotta, you know, be that person, be that fox who keeps looking for a hole in the hen house to get in there. And you got to keep plugging, making the phone calls, figure out which team has a couple loose ends. I mean, the Texans have six running backs, man. If you get Mark Ingram, I think that would be a, you know, a, a, a stonk kind of move, a chalk move. You get the guy that's familiar, you know, that also lacks juice, but maybe has a little bit more because of his knowledge of the system. Uh, then, you know, some of these guys are signing off the street. Philip Lindsay, we talked about. Uh, I think that the Raiders are an interesting case. You know, let's, the Raiders are in a weird spot, man. They, they lost Rodney Hudson. Richie Incognito's out right now. He's had a calf injury, hasn't been practicing. I don't think he's supposed to play. We'll get into that more when BD joins us. But they've got Kenyon Drake over there. He's another runner who I think was third in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, in power runs. What do I got here? Kenyon Drake had 40 power runs for 152 yards and seven first downs, uh, 76 yards after contact. So like 1.7 yards per contact after contact there. They didn't have a great offensive line for trying to do that. Um, he, you know, I think he's he an interesting like back. He, that, he looked kind of explosive, though, at times from last year. From what I remember, I haven't gone back and watched him or anything, but just from like red zone highlights and stuff. Again, the Cardinals are a team I watched every snap of. That was my one of my assigned NFL teams for SIS. I liked Kenyon Drake. I've, I never understood the constant shuffle with Chase Edmonds, who is like one of the most confusing players in the NFL. It's like, him and J.D. McKissick, they just are these glorified third down backs, and they're not nearly as effective as like a James White was in his prime. But, they, you know, it's third down. They're getting their run. You're sticking them in there in lieu of Kenyon Drake, who does everything well and, you know, pre presents a little bit more upside as a runner. But uh, I like Kenyon Drake a lot. I think that him and Philip Lindsay would be kind of top-tier cheap options, so to speak. Uh, I don't know what Drake's contract is off the top of my head. Maybe it's a little bit too rich for their blood. Rashad Penny, Charles Bowie. Yeah, Rashad Penny, another guy who had a, a devastating injury coming back from that. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I kind of, I don't, I don't want to say I shit on Nate McCrary a couple weeks ago. I just thought he was more of a developmental piece than a guy that would be ready to come in and make a difference uh, on the active roster immediately. But if uh, he floats there, it would be, be a nice, nice pickup to get him back if you could and, and kind of cut your losses, send a seventh or sixth round pick. Yeah, so looking at Kenyon Drake here, nothing crazy. Three million, eight million next year. So probably not. How much of that is like guaranteed? Does it say the dead so money if you cut him or whatever? Dead cap five point five. Feels kind of like a lot. I'm not an expert with this stuff, but I'm pretty sure that's too much. Yeah, that's probably too much. A little bit too rich there. Yeah. So we'll see. Do I think they make a move there? I mean, they're they're probably going to make a lot of moves at running back. I don't I doubt they're, that they've both already, Levy it's already Bell and started. Freeman. Yeah, it's already started. Like they've got Bell and Freeman on the practice squad. Like, you know, it's if it like if if, if it were me, like it would be Latavius Murray. Like that's that's the closest you're going to get to Gus, I think. And Murray like not for nothing, Josina Anderson put it out there that he was like openly talking to her about how he'd want to come here. Yeah, he basically was like, yeah, I understand they have a need it back and that would make sense and I kind of want to play and play for a contender. So uh, I've always liked Latavius Murray. I think he's a physical runner and, and could replace some of what Edwards can do in those short yardage situations a little bit uh, and, and be kind of like an 80-20 type Gus guy, you know, giving you 80% of what Gus can do, 20% of the pay. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a perfect transition here. Uh, as as we always do, to uh, a guest who is now joining the show. It is uh, B.D. Williams of Silver and Black Pride. How's it going, my man? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, Good to be here. Doing, 
Real glad you uh, came on with us, BD. Thank you for joining us. We're we're you know coming off some devastating news here as I fans. Know. We obviously uh, we are Ravens fans at the end of the day, and watching this this string of unfortunate events has been quite difficult. I'm sure uh, you know you're you're going to be a nice guy about it, but in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, "Well, you know that that helps the Raiders' <laughs> chances a little bit for sure." But uh, yeah. it's it's been tough, so we're happy to have you on. If you wanted to give our listeners just a little bit of a background on where your football story came from, why you love the sport, what got you into writing, you know, any any experiences you've had, we like to kind of go in chronological order to start, and you know your your football story. Okay, well, all right, cool. Thanks for having me on. First of all, guys, um, I am a former Division One athlete. I played football at Stony Brook University uh, for a few years. I ended up tearing my ACL, and my grades were terrible, so I started trying to focus on graduating. And uh, after you know a few years, I worked in education, and um, I started contributing for a couple blogs. And that's how I got you know introduced into the writing world and kind of just breaking down some of my football knowledge to explain things that are happening mostly for Raiders fans. That's why you're having me on because the Raiders are playing Ravens, uh, you know, this Monday. So, so yeah, so that's kind of, you know, my thing. Um, I write at silver and black pride, silver and black pride right now. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that, that's about it. Um, you know, mine. Cool. Yeah. So obviously you mentioned your, your ties to the Raiders there. So we're going to be talking plenty of week one. I'm curious what your take on, and this is interesting. I feel like the Raiders are always kind of an interesting watch in the offseason as far as what's going on with quarterback. Are they looking to move on from Derek Carr? It feels like they're kind of they've been in that rumor mill weirdly the last couple of years. So what would be your kind of just your overall take on the Raiders offseason and kind of how you feel about them or have felt about them throughout the preseason up to this point? Yeah, the uh, the constant quarterback controversy, this is like a drummed up by national media because it gets so many clicks the Raiders fans are so ravenous about quarterback that like any any article about Derek Carr is just like massive volume on their sides I I know it so you know on the site that we work on is like anything about Derek Carr in the title is just like three or four times the traffic as any other uh, article so that's what that's about there's no actual QB controversy like within the building they these the coaches the front offices doubled down on Derek Carr time and time again um, they've had lots of chances to like do other things and go in different directions, and they ha- and they haven't. And I think that's fine. I think that he's you know a solid uh, quarterback. You know, probably right outside the top ten. You know, if we want to get into the rankings and all that, you know, nonsense. But uh, I I like Derek Carr. I think he's just fine. You know, he's not an elite quarterback, but you know, he's pretty darn good. And as far as the uh, off season goes, you know, for the Raiders, I really love it. I love that they're you know bringing guys in left and right they're doing they're making a lot of moves they're cutting some people that were drafted or you know you know doing things like that and i just think hey you gotta you know turn the bottom of the roster if you know guys aren't going to be able to bring it and you know compete for a starting position find someone else who can be on the bottom of the roster who's going to push the guys so i i actually have enjoyed the raiders offseason yeah the raiders draft two players that we talked about extensively ad nauseum on this podcast that we thought would have been great fits into Greg Roman's offense in Alex Leatherwood, a prodigious run blocker coming out of Alabama, an absolute mauler with some technical refinement needed in the past game, but a you know a strong athlete. And then Trevon Merrig, who uh, I think him and Jeremiah Wusu koromoa ended up being kind of the, the guys that the media was higher on and maybe some injury concerns and things like that end up shifting uh, him into a second round pick when I saw him as a first round player. 
And so those two moves, I feel like are going to be paramount and correct me if I'm wrong, BD, but those are the two rookies that kind of have the most uh, skin in the game right now. Week one. Yes. But, uh, but there is another rookie, Nate Hobbs from Illinois. I don't know how much of this noise has like made it outside of like Raiders, Twitter and Raiders social media, but um, like everyone's been raving about this guy. He's making a lot of plays in camp uh, preseason. Uh, so he's also slotted in as a starter and supposed to be, you know, an impact player for the Raiders. If you believe the beat writers. Yeah, sure thing. Coming out of Illinois, playing some cornerback, and and you love to see those camp bodies get hot. But go ahead, Jake. Yeah, and um, I guess in that front, I it seems like they had a pretty good draft. We liked Merrick a lot, to your point, Spencer, and Leatherwood as well. It looks like he's working out so far in the preseason. As far as it feels like, as long as Mayock has been there, the drafting has been a lot of you know guys from big schools, big names, that kind of thing. As far as the free agency approach, to your point earlier, it feels like it is kind of a lot of throwing money at names and kind of seeing how it works out. And like, I'm not plugged in enough to know what has worked out and what hasn't, but it feels like it's kind of been another off season of a deluge of guys coming in. So we're, we're familiar with unique and Gakwe, Willie Sneed, who are some other guys that have kind of come in and who do you think have a chance to be impact free agents for this team? Yeah, I think uh, Kenyon Drake, they have a, they, it sounds like they have a really interesting plan for Kenyon Drake, uh, basically using him more as a receiver than a runner. Uh, so we're going to see kind of how that comes to fruition, what that ends up looking like. Uh, but it sounds like, you know, he's got his own kind of package within the offense. So, and, you know, he's one of the fastest ball carriers in football. You know, I don't know if he's a great, like really efficient back in terms of like in the run game, making the correct reads. But when he gets a crease, I mean, the guy's hard to take down. He's a big, strong guy, physical guy, great talent. So it sounds like that's what their plan is for, for Kenyon Drake. So I would assume that he's going to, um, maybe not poach a whole bunch of carries, but certainly get the third back, third down back duties, and you know be a, one of the cogs in the passing game. So yeah, I, I would say keep keep your eyes on Kenyon Drake, and then also they signed KJ Wright just now, just like literally the last couple of days, and he's gonna he's gonna start. Um, he's gonna be on the field all game most likely when you guys uh, play the uh, Ravens play the Raiders. Great fit for that Gus Bradley defense. And uh, before we get into kind of offense, defense, and maybe some matchups. Gus Bradley, maybe one of the quieter but most impactful additions of player or coach in the NFL this year, in my opinion. I uh, wrote an article that was kind of detailing how the Raiders really struggled against under center kind of pro style attacks against the pass specifically. You know, Paul Gunther was there for a couple of years. Things didn't work out. You go get Gus Bradley. You're going to flip that defense on its head. It's going to be a ton of single high, going to be middle of the field covered, going to be rushing for not blitzing very much. So how do you feel like Gus Bradley's impact into this team is, is going to pay off immediately? Because I certainly feel that it's due or maybe you feel otherwise. Yeah, I do think it's going to pay off. And I, I think that the scheme is like relatively, you know, amongst NFL defenses, probably one of the simpler, if not the simplest scheme in, in football. Uh, but really the benefit of it is players that now, you know, young players that Raiders have a bunch of high draft picks that are young players that haven't really panned out quite yet. They haven't turned into like what their promise could be. But when you play a simple scheme like that, you're able to like play, play better situational football, um, you know, hone your technique, do the little things right. And, and a lot of times on defense, it's like a culmination of like the little things adding up to a, a really good result. And that was what's that's what's been missing last few years under Paul Gunther. You know, uh, now he's a linebackers coach in Minnesota. But that's that's what I'm that's what I'm uh, excited to see. You know, there's so many times last year where 
or last like last few years where it's like third and eleven and they give up like literally an eleven yard reception because they're not playing the sticks. You know, just like small details. The attention to details just has not been there, and I think that that's going to be a big boost. Like we're going to see some, you know, Raiders fans are going to see that area of the game improve for defense. Yeah, and you wrote a, a really great article from uh, several months ago when they hired Bradley. Um, I, I came upon it a couple of days ago when I was writing up uh, some stuff for the matchup and um, really impressed by it. So great work on that. And I'm kind of curious, like, as far as it pertains to this matchup, like Gus Bradley is one of the more interesting characters in the Lamar Jackson story because he was the defensive coordinator for the Chargers in that game where the Chargers come into Baltimore and all this is made about, you know, the seven defensive backs and what it, whatever it was that he did in that game to stop Jackson and I think it's there's maybe a little bit of revisionist history where that offense kind of just wasn't really up to snuff talent wise. But what do you think the approach is going to be tonight for a, a much more mature kind of refi- refined Lamar Jackson three years later? Do you think it's going to be kind of a similar thing to that where, you know, we haven't heard anything made of that. But like, do you think there's going to be some sort of repetition from that game scheme wise to try and stop Jackson? Or what do you think the approach is going to be? Yeah. So first thing is before, you know, I'm like watching Gus Bradley like a student of the game and just watching him being a fan, right? What I remember from that game was the Ravens made a lot of like unforced errors, it seemed like. And and you can't really attribute those things to scheme. So I think a lot of people would go, oh, this scheme stopped Lamar Jackson and the Ravens when it was really just like just untimely ball bounces in back to the defense. From my fumbling three out of four plays and losing right, two. Right. Right. So like from my recollection, when I'm watching the game live, and I'm I'm not thinking, oh man, the, the the Chargers are bottling these guys up. I'm thinking, Ravens are just can't catch a break right now. They're they're making a lot of mistakes. So I don't think that the scheme really is is as good or was as good as it's made out to be. Now, like a few years later, like the blueprint to stop Lamar Jackson, yada yada yada, whatever. I think that the reason why they went seven DBs is they must have been super injured at linebacker. Um, and the, and the guys that they had available were not fast enough to get out in the open field against Lamar Jackson. So I think that it was just like a necessity of the personnel at that point in the season. I don't think that this is like, uh, something that is like really replicable, honestly, having four defensive linemen and seven DBs on the field against, especially now when you see how much more evolved this run game has gotten, like you cannot have seven DBs out there. They are going to get killed by these offensive linemen. You need linebackers to like be able to take on blocks against this like exotic, like incredible, incredible scheme and uh, run game. So uh, I don't think that, that they're going to go tap into that well at all. I think that that's in the past. That's why I haven't even spent too much time, honestly, like breaking down that game, like as a preview for this matchup. Like, I don't think that there's much that you can really take from that game in terms of predicting what's going to happen this year. Spot on. And uh, yeah, let's, let's kind of segue into the Raiders offense and in, in this specific game matchup. So The Raiders are a team that love to go under center. They love to utilize power concepts, which the Ravens are very familiar with. Uh, You know, the the Ravens, the Browns, the Broncos, the Patriots, uh, I guess the 49ers and the Raiders being kind of the the dominant power man gap scheme rushing teams and and Derek Carr being able to work from under center and hit the drop back passing game. So uh, where are you looking when you're looking at this Ravens defense and especially one that just recently loses Marcus Peters and where are you thinking that the, the preferable matchups or preferable schematic advantages are going to come for the Las Vegas Raiders in this Monday night football matchup? Yeah. So, uh, well, a couple things, you know, the, I think the Raiders have been a, a, a gap power scheme last year. 
And there was like a revolving door on offensive line. And I think that that kind of hurt what their really what their identity is. They, they want to be a zone uh, outside zone team. And I think that with the amount of injuries that they had at offensive line last year, like getting all those guys to work in tandem when like, it's like a different tackle guard combination every week, right. they, they just scrapped it and they just said, okay, we're going to, we're going to run a lot more gap and power than, than traditionally John Gruden has done. So I'm thinking definitely we're going to see more zone if everyone stays healthy this year. Uh, because that's what uh, Josh Jacobs is best at. He's a, he's a great zone runner, not as and not as good in gap and power schemes. So that that's the first thing that you know. We'll see how well you know these guys can do against your uh, formidable defensive front. You know, um, uh, guys like you know Calais Campbell and, and Pierce. Like, oh my gosh, these guys are 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 really strong. You know, incredible. You know, uh, strength and just like you're not moving these guys off the ball. So. I will be interested to see how offensive line can, can handle that. The other uh, thing that I think is going to be a big part of this offense is getting into 12 personnel with Darren Waller on the field. Almost like he's your X, right? He's the X of the offense. And then you bring in another wide receiver. And then, you know, I think they're going to kind of take what the, what the defense ends up giving them. If they come out in nickel, they're going to run a lot at you. If they come out in base, they're going to pass on you. And I think it's going to be kind of like, that's going to be the chess match that they're going to get into with teams is, you know, all year long is put 12 personnel out there, see what they do, and then just take what they give you. So it's it's been a couple hours since the announcement came down. Let's say you're Greg Olson or you're Gruden or whoever it is that's calling the plays here. Let's say that's you. How has your game plan changed offensively in the hours since? Like, let's say a few hours ago, how would your game plan have looked as opposed to now when we know that Marcus Peters is probably not going to be playing in this game? I don't know. I, I I don't know who's who's backing him up. Is like, do we have tape on this guy? That's, Anthony uh, Averett is. Uh, he's probably played a thousand snaps over the last couple of years. He yeah, came I, on in year three. I'm fa- I'm familiar with this player. Okay, yeah. I, you know, um, I I don't know if the I don't know how much the game plan changes. I'm sure there's going to be some things that they're they're going to be willing to try now. All of a sudden, like there's going to have a couple plays that maybe they weren't on the table when Marcus Peters is in. Now that they might put on the table, but I think that just like collectively across like the entire offense is just like a sigh, like, Oh man, like this is, this is a dangerous player to throw the ball around. You know, Marcus Peters will get beat, but he'll also really hurt you as a, as an offense. So it's like, like, you know, a high risk, high reward kind of thing. And it makes it so hard when you have Marlon Humphrey, just completely blanketing uh, people on the opposite side or just, you know, whoever his man is. And then you have to like, okay, do we throw it, you know, towards Marcus Peters? Are we going to just have to check it down and just, uh, you know, try to get our line, get our backs on linebackers one on one for the entire game? So I think that uh, I don't know if it, it it might put some things on the table, but it just kind of, I guess, is like a, a sigh. Like the tension isn't going to be as high on offense to push the ball down the field. And speaking of a uh, sigh, sorry to interrupt here, Spenny, but uh, Adam Schefter confirms that Marcus Peters out for the season with a torn ACL. So there it is. Man, that's terrible. You know, um, Raiders fans were originally all from Oakland. Marcus Peters is an Oakland legend, so we're all we're we're all Marcus Peters fans. So that's that hurts to hear. uh, You know, for him and his career, hopefully he's able to bounce back, shake back with you guys. I don't think he's ever gone to more than maybe one or two interviews, like whether it's a press conference or anything without shouting out Oakland. He's he's (laughs) he mentioned uh, yeah he mentioned the other day that he likes it in Baltimore because it reminds him of Oakland. So like, there you go. Yeah, the Ravens do this whole production of of Wired, so it's a video series they drop every week, and they sit him down, and he's got his beanie on, sitting sideways, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I love it here. Remind me of Oakland." Like, it's uh, you know, yeah. so, so we feel that we appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will 
also. But you're talking about Marlon Humphrey now, a player that, you know, he's he's no worse than a top five corner in single coverage and man coverage. The Ravens love man coverage. How are you going to, you know, if you're the Raiders or what do you expect the Raiders to do to maybe isolate him, throw the ball away from him? And more importantly, how do you get Darren Waller involved? I went back and watched a good bit of that Patriots game from last year, Raiders-Patriots, where they did some interesting things with kind of pressing Waller and then passing him off to a, a defender that, you know, was waiting on the other side of leverage, things like that. So how are you looking to, to really make sure that Darren Waller stays involved in this game as, you know, Brian Edwards comes on, a guy that we love, Henry Ruggs, Hank Ruggs, as Jake and I like to call him. We were really high on him last year, too. You know, we're expecting them to have big year twos, especially Edwards there. But but how do you kind of make sure that this game runs through Waller uh, against the Ravens? And, and where do you see the Ravens trying to maybe counter that? It's the funny thing, with, like with the Raiders offense, you know, some people might argue with me on this. But, you know, the way that I watch their offense, if someone's getting doubled, like they just don't throw that way. If they throw somewhere else, like they are not going to like force the ball anywhere. Uh, it's it's inefficient like a, to try it, to get it, those contested it, catches, things like right, that. Right, right. Stuff like that. And and it's a John Gruden is a very risk averse play caller. Derek Carr is a pretty risk averse quarterback. So like we're not gonna see like jump balls to their best player just because like for the sake of like getting him a target. You know, so I think that if Marlon Humphrey draws Darren Waller in coverage and they get a couple looks. And they're like, okay, he's he's blanketing Darren Waller. They're gonna go other other ways. But you know that that'd be a great matchup. That'd be like a heavyweight uh, fight to watch if we could see something like that. That'd be pretty cool. But I, I mean, uh, to your point about Marlon Humphrey, like you know, uh, I I really doubt that he gets targeted much in this game. You know, um, they might try to catch him. You know, sleeping. But I you know I, I have a lot of respect for Marlon Humphrey. I think I, I don't know why he's not mentioned more often amongst like the top corners in the low NFL. low interception numbers he doesn't oh, okay. his receiver not the ball he doesn't it's get a stats. lot of interceptions he blends into yeah. the he bl- you blend yeah. it's those nice box score stats you blend yeah, it, yeah 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 you blend into the uniform in baltimore a little bit too when you're on defense like you know it's kind of, if you're not ray lewis or ed reed it's kind of you know you're part like you're a product of being on a great defense rather than okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's you're not, part of the collective. You're not the right. star. Yeah, the, def- the defense itself is the star. It's not even necessarily disrespect. You just kind of look at the helmet and you think, oh, okay. Like, you know, of course that's you know a good defensive player. It's not really like a disrespect thing. Oh, okay. That cornerback four state fumbles last year. Oh, okay, he's a raven. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, just the, the run of the mill type stuff you can find anywhere. Yeah. I, um he and and he travels, obviously. He'll play a good amount of in the slot from just like me watching off the broadcast. You know, um, I, I would be really interested. So when someone goes down, he he yeah. takes over in the slot. He's he's kind of there like second. They have Tavon Young, who they trust a lot. He's missed a lot of time. And then Marlon Humphrey goes into the slot when he goes down, which has been a right. lot. So, um, so I, I'd be really interested to see if that is like something that they do where they're asking Marlon Humphrey to match up against Darren Waller. That would be pretty awesome like now you're getting your money's worth watching this game uh so that would be pretty cool if that that's how they you know try to attack darren waller and then if that's the case look for the ball to get pushed other places and you know a limited number of targets for darren waller absolutely well that term go ahead no you go ahead i I was just gonna say that was all i had so if you got any more fire them off oh there we go yeah just in terms of you know renfro edwards willie sneeds there as well and then rugs i know rugs kind of struggled with uh some more physical press and press jam last year reportedly gained some some muscle this off season you got brian edwards who uh you know if you if you wanted to say he looked like terrell owens when he was at south carolina i wouldn't fight you the man the man did some crazy things especially alongside Debo Samuel. So where do you see this young receiving core that 
that has this kind of beautiful blend of X, Y, and Z position-wise. You got the big physical Edwards, the burner flanker in rugs, and then that that short area change of direction, tough catch guy in Renfro. Where are you expecting them to be in, let's say, December, in a couple months? And uh, how do you think that they're going to be able to, to maybe make any adjustments in their scheme? And, and where do you see that coming from to – uh, get the the juice out of the squeeze of these young receivers. Yeah, I mean that that's really the it's a burning question. You know, I think a lot of people are down. Edwards, he he was banged up when he did play. He actually made some really good plays, um, but he just didn't play a ton because he was he got banged up. Henry Ruggs also he like tore his uh, MCL like the first half of the first game last year, and people just pointed to the fact that well he continued to play on it and he didn't have great production that he had like a disappointing season. But when you take into account, like you playing on a sprained knee for the rest of the year, like it does not heal. If if you sprain your knee, you get a partial partially torn MCL or whatever it is in the week one, it will continue to be partially sh- torn the entire year. Like there's no time time off to heal it. So uh, I, I think that both those guys are, are going to bounce back. You know, health. You know, being something that we can count on, hopefully. And, uh, and really, just to my point, what I was talking about earlier, there's going to be games where, you know, Edwards goes off, perhaps, or Henry Ruggs goes off, or Hunter Renfro goes off, because they're keying on Darren Waller or whatever it is, right? So that's really what good John Gruden wants. He wants to have all these options and, you know, being able to take whatever the defense gives you. And uh, so I don't think that their, their stats might not be, like, amazing and what, like, some Raiders fans want to watch, but they're going to have, like, their fair share of plays where – you know, they're, they're making the difference. Like last year, Henry Ruggs came in the clutch. He made the, uh, you know, the bomb catch when they beat the Jets when they sent the all-out blitz on in the last play of the game or whatever. I don't know if you guys were tapped into that. It was pretty silly. Yes, uh, yes. Oh, you know, yeah, we were. Great. Yeah, Greg Williams got fired like that that day. So um, the, uh, I think yeah. the Ravens might have made the playoffs if the Jets had just hung on in that game. So like we were, we were <laughs> watching, you guys were, yeah, yeah, we were watching. Then we watched them versus the Dolphins, and they had to beat the Dolphins in that game uh, in yeah. Vegas, and uh, they they wound up losing that one too. So it's we were, magic. We were plugged into the Raiders a little bit at the end. Of okay, last okay, yeah. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of playoff, uh, you know, chances. Yeah, you know, hopes riding on them. That's true. So, uh, but yeah, so like you know, seeing maybe more plays like that, more explosive plays from Henry Ruggs, just being like a really good possession receiver, Brian Edwards. You know, maybe a guy who could be a contest catch guy on the outside, you know, that's kind of what this offense has been lacking. It's been really efficient running the ball in previous years. Last year, really efficient moving the ball in between the 20s with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. Now they just need, like, these guys on the outside to, like, really step up. Spot on. So let's uh, let's talk defense. Where do you see the the matchups? Where do you see the mismatches? Uh, K.J. Wright, I think, is a really interesting player into a Gus Bradley defense coming from that – you know, they're not that it's the same coaching tree, Gus Bradley and Pete Carroll, but that that cover three kind of home base that KJ Wright comes from, and it's going to be able to step in. So, uh, how do you see a, a defense that figures to line up in the middle of the field and uh, put eight in the box a lot, working against this Ravens offense? And where do you anticipate some weaknesses and some strengths? You know, um, it, it's going to come down to just like assignment football, you know, and I'm sure that's like a boring take talking about the Ravens defense, but it's like this is what you have to do like um you can't you hopefully they don't try to try anything special like any any try to like schematic wrinkles like they just need to play you know base and they just need to like wear these guys out that you know demar jackson is going to have his plays 
but really make him earn it and not give him, you know, when, when you start doing some extra wrinkles, when you start sending some blitzes and all of a sudden we got a huge gain, uh, you know, especially in the passing game. So I'm hoping that, you know, the majority of like the schematic wrinkles happens up front, what, what are they doing if they're doing some gap exchanges, uh, you know, if they're trying to Jimmy Pony or two gap uh, some guys to keep the, the nickel free and not have to, you know, get on a man in, in the run game, stuff like that. Um, I, I'm expecting them to do those kind of just slight little nuanced tweaks, in, you know, to defend the run and just play really vanilla on the back end. And if the Ravens, who have very quietly developed this under this pro style under center kind of wide zone boot offense this offseason, it was something that Greg Roman explicitly stated he desired to do and kind of talked about it early in the offseason. We've seen it in practice. Uh, you know, they've they've played the Titans and the Browns seven times in the last two calendar years. And I think they kind of saw some success with those schemes and got a bigger, maybe more athletic and, and veteran offensive line. How do you anticipate maybe if the Ravens surprise the Raiders a little bit, come out with an under center attack more often than they expect? The Ravens are dead last by far in under center usage over the last, you know, since Lamar Jackson took over. Uh, how do you anticipate that going? And uh, where do you think there might be some some wrinkles that confuse the Raiders defense at times and you're talking about excuse me uh execution football and having you know Lamar Jackson on on waggles and boots with that wide zone offense uh do you think that's going to give the Raiders trouble when they're expecting more of this pistol shotgun or uh you know classic Lamar Jackson Greg Roman offense so so far and just like from the tape that I've watched um usually like by far when a defensive end goes unblocked on the line of scrimmage okay whether it's, you know, like, like you're saying, like waggle or like a boot, or if it's actual like uh, shotgun quarterback, like zone read or something like that, they, they always, almost always surf the mesh point, like meaning they keep their shoulders square and they yep. like just shuffle down. Right. So um, it, it, there's there's some uh what should i say like crossover there when you're defending the boot action and you're an unblocked defensive end so i think that some of the things that they are like planning on doing are going to work i think that the biggest issue is like some of these angles that you have to take to get to where the running back is going to go changes dramatically when you're in shotgun and when you're in you know, when you're in under center right so that's going to be like the biggest adjustment for the linebackers when they go from under center to uh, shotgun and they're having to fit these similar runs but they're having to fit it at a different angle like some of the timing of these things are, are going to change a lot so I, that would be really interesting because if that's something that that the ravens can like add into their you know uh game plan and uh, you know uh, execute at a high level that just makes the defense uh, job that much harder filling the run beautiful and uh, one player i wanted to touch on someone that i would maybe uh, I wasn't quite as high on him as Mike Mayock and John Gruden were, but Cleland Farrell, who now, uh, you know, you draft him fourth overall pick. Mike Mayock drafts him fourth overall pick ahead of a guy like Josh Allen coming out of Kentucky. And I think that kind of took the world by surprise. He was a player that was getting consistently mocked to Baltimore, who I, I guess that was the 26th pick. And uh, maybe he was a little bit too rich for their blood. He was getting projected, you know, 15th, 20th, 25th. Comes in, hasn't been a you know stellar pass rusher in that Raiders scheme, in that Paul Gunther scheme. Raiders go out, bring in Yannick Ngakwe. They've got Max Crosby there, who's a hell of a pass rusher himself. And how do you you know see this playing out, this kind of three-man rotation with Ngakwe and Farrell and Crosby? And uh, where do you think Crosby, or I guess overall those guys fit into this scheme? And then 
Uh, Farrell, specifically, a player that I've always been very interested in and was really high on, but hasn't lived up to expectation, especially as a pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, his pass rush is, you know, if you watch him on tape, it's it's kind of clunky. And it, there's just, like, not a lot of urgency to, like, when his first move fails, like, getting to a second move. It's almost like there's, like, a processing time that happens in between him, uh, you know, stringing the moves together. Whereas you watch someone like Max Crosby, like, he's really loose. Like, he's very unorthodox, honestly, and he's kind of awkward. It's almost like going up against, like, an awkward, awkward uh, boxer, you know, like, it's like he's doing some weird things, and I think that that catches some tackles off guard. Uh, and he's very fluid, so he just strings moves together like really effortlessly. And I think that that's some of the pass rush. The sack numbers are going to tell you Max Crosby's like way better rushing the passer than Cleveland Furrow when it's probably like not like so much better. I mean, he's obviously better, but uh, some of the it's, some of the hype with Max Crosby has come from box score scouting for sure in the, in his first two years. So we'll see if. You know, he can like actually like build on that and continue because so far he only has like one really effective move and it's a cross chop and like that's it. So, anyways, Yannick um, Ngakwe also uses. Also uses like, yeah, Yannick Ngakwe to his credit, he has like some extra, you know, uh, volume. Ngakwe's so <laughs> got like a two way go. He can counter inside if he, yeah. if you set vertically and, uh, you know, he tries to set you up with that speed rip or that cross chop. He can counter inside, but. He, I don't know what it was last year. You know, I, I think he was kind of underrated for what he did for the Ravens, but has no long arm bull rush anymore. And it's really disappointing because in Jacksonville, he had that three way go where he could long arm and run through you and kind of lost that a little bit. It felt like he, over the last couple of years. Did he have a shoulder or a chest injury at any point? Cause that might, uh, I'm not sure it. that that definitely makes sense. If he lost mobility in that left shoulder when, cause he rushes off. It's, the Yeah. Right I don't side. know. I don't know. Yeah. I, he, I would say that his, um, the, but, but what you saw, though, even though you didn't see as much of the long arm last year, I would say you saw a lot more pass rush moves than he had ever put on tape before. And I think it's probably trying to find something else to do. So we'll see if he has that long arm, you know, if that's back. Uh, he's definitely been working on, you know, inside spin count as a counter to the speed rush. So that's also something else that's going to be on the table for him. But going back to Cleveland Farrell that we talked about, he's, he's a really good run stopper. He was drafted to be a run-stopping defensive end because that's what Paul Gunther values in his defensive ends first. Like he he wants guys who can stop the run first and then have pass rush, um, you know, upside. That's that's what he wants. He doesn't want the other way around. So which is why someone like Josh Allen, to him and his scheme, he didn't like Josh Allen's ability to stop the run. I guess as a you know an even front defensive end. Um, so. I say all that to say I don't think that Cleveland Farrell would have been drafted fourth overall if Gus Bradley were the defensive coordinator at the time. So Gus Bradley kind of inherits Cleveland Farrell. And I do think, though, that in some way it could be a good fit if Cleveland Farrell can kind of, um, you know, insert himself into the pass rush lineup because right now where he uh, projects to rush the pass rush the most is at three technique and have maybe a similar career trajectory, not saying that he can be, but hopefully maybe close to someone like Michael Bennett who played with Gus Bradley in Seattle, who was a base end against the run. And then when they got into nickel, he slid down to the three technique and rushed the passer over the guard. That would probably be the best case scenario or best chance that Cleveland Furrow has to like living up to his draft status, but it's still a long shot. And in terms of interior pass rush, where are you expecting the Raiders to be, you know, early on and and how do you think they're going to figure that out? And, Farrell definitely is one of those those answers, and maybe you're looking at him, a guy that that kind of sounds like career trajectory-wise is Pernell McPhee, guy who kicks inside on third down, plays a run as an you know, outside five technique, stand-up linebacker, whatever you want. But 
how do you anticipate that that true passing situation, the third and outside of areas where you want to run the ball going, and where are the Raiders going to generate interior pass rush? I mean, uh, I think that that's what they're waiting. They're going to wait for those third and longs to get Gerald McCoy in. They recently signed him. He's been out of football for a year. He played in a, in a, um, in a, in a couple series in one preseason game. But I think that they just want him there to be a pass rusher. I doubt that they put him in against the run like early on. Maybe when he gets legs underneath him, plays back, plays himself back into shape. But I do think that when it gets to third and long, they're going to throw Gerald McCoy in there because that's what he's been good at in his, his entire career. Um, and I, I and I think that the other interior uh, spot is going to be between Clint Furl um, or you know one of these other guys that's on the roster. Solomon Thomas has also been like another one of these draft busts where they can play the run, but he can't rush the passer. So they have a lot of question marks. I, I would say there as like a three technique pass rusher. Uh, and you know, and nickel downs, third and longs. So that I mean, I, I, anyone's best guess. All of Raiders, uh, Raider Nation is wondering. You're the same thing that you just asked me. We're all wondering what that's going to look like. Beautiful, and I guess that kind of leads us to to the secondary and how you anticipate them dealing with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Sammy Watkins, Devin Duvernay, and company, and how you think they'll they'll be able to match up, kind of physique wise and skill set wise, and what you want to see from them in that, that kind of cover three look? You know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're going to try to keep everything, you know, in front of them, play with a big cushion if they need to against Marquise Brown. You know, Marcus Brown, he's like, you know, a you know bottle of lightning. You know, he can strike at any time on you. So not saying that they're going to keep him fully corralled all game, but they're going to do their best, certainly, to make sure that he doesn't give up that big play. You know, you don't see Bradley's corners very involved in run support. I would say just from watching like the last three or four years of his scheme, because they play so much cover three, you got the nickel and you got the strong safety or you got the uh, outside linebacker and the strong safety. Those guys are the force players. They're, they're involved in the fit and the corners, not really, not so much. So they're going to really be kind of free to like, just stay on top of Marquise Brown. So we'll see if they can execute that. Obviously when you start having, you know, to rally on Lamar Jackson, you know, you might have to, you might get hit for one on top of you. So hopefully they can just kind of key in on their guy and just keep him, uh, do their best to keep Marcus Brown in front of him. Love to hear it. And before we get you out of here, how do you uh, think this game pans out? You know, you don't have to give us a score. You can if you want, but what do you think we're looking at Tuesday morning where you're waking up and thinking, you know, it went right, it went wrong, and, and are the Raiders coming out of that first true home game in Allegiant Stadium? With a win, uh, I I am actually pretty confident about the Raiders' uh, chances of winning after all these injuries are popping up. Like, no offense to you guys, obviously, but hard, like hard not to be hard not. The, to be. the number of injuries is just like catast- catastrophic. I, I, f- I really feel for you. So, um, I, I am confident that the Raiders are going to be able to pull out a win. Um, you know, they played really great in their uh, last year in their home opener. It was a Monday night game against uh, the New Orleans Saints, and they were able to beat the New Orleans Saints there. Uh, so I think that there's going to be a lot of excitement. The fans are going to be super into it. They've been really champing at the bit. They haven't been able to they – they were not allowed to come to the stadium last year. So uh, I'm anticipating the fan noise to be, like, on another level, uh, you know, uh, going into this Monday night game. And so I do think that the Raiders are going to be able to – especially now with all the Ravens injuries, I think the Raiders are going to come out victorious. 
Awesome. Well, we certainly don't blame you to your point there. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting when we make our picks coming up here. But uh, before that, we're going to get you out of here. How about you go ahead and uh, let the listeners know where they can find it, you and your work. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to want to check it out after this great appearance. So go ahead and uh, plug yourself and your stuff for them. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, thanks guys for having me on. You know, uh, you guys are really well respected in terms of like the actual like football coverage world. So I appreciate you guys. Uh, I'm BD Williams. You can follow me at BD Williams 18. You can follow my work at silverandblackpride.com. I also have a podcast with my co-host Marcus Johnson. We cover the Raiders. We do film breakdowns for the Raiders. So this is called the tape. Don't lie podcast. Just type in tape. Don't lie Raiders and you'll find it on YouTube. We, you know, we put out, two or three videos a week. Uh, so yeah, you can find my work there. That's it. Absolutely. Well, thanks a ton, buddy. You enjoy uh, this weekend's slate of games. Enjoy uh, Monday night. And uh, I know we'll, we'll have separate rooting interests, but uh, either way, hopefully it's a fun yeah. one for us both. <laughs> thanks so much, BD. All right. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate All right. it. All right, Take man. Care. Later. You too. Thanks, man. All right. Well, that was great. That was, that was awesome. I got to kind of just sit back and let the, uh, let two masters of the tape, just a, a tidal wave of that just wash over me for a minute there. So that, that was nice. I think the listeners are going to like that. Yeah, we didn't get to get as deep as we wanted with, uh, you know, maybe the story of the Raiders and the move. We usually like to, to get a little deeper, but Jake and I, full disclosure, did want to get into this Bucks cowboys game. So we've got a couple minutes here and uh, moving into that. So, Jakey boy, how do you think this game pans out? And uh, give us a score. So I... I'm going to stick with my prediction. Uh, it's it's tough to say because these injuries, I think, do affect things a little bit. But uh, I'm going to go Ravens pull out a gritty one on the road. I think there's going to be uh, going to be some high flying action, some fireworks in this one. I'm going to go Ravens win 31 28 on the road. Win one for the boys. Win one for the boys. I uh, I do think that, like I said earlier, that under center attack might catch the Raiders by absolute absolute surprise. It has not been on tape. We saw it in the preseason. We still saw straight three, five-step drops. I think they're going to try and get Lamar Jackson loose on some of those boots and uh, start moving defenses laterally. That'll give him some easy split field reads. The area of concern is Darren Waller. I'm interested to see how the Ravens combat that. And if maybe Henry Ruggs comes out looking like a goddamn cheetah, that would be uh, a little bit concerning as well. You're probably going to, are going to want to put Marlon Humphrey on him and take him away and uh, cut your losses with Renfro, Edwards, and, and trying to you know get them off of Waller. But I think this Ravens defensive front holds up quite well to the Raiders rushing attack. Uh, Richie Incognito is not supposed to play. I think people are overlooking the fact that maybe Leatherwood is a rookie in his first game at a really hard position to transition to, as well as the fact they don't have Rodney Hudson anymore, who's maybe been the best center in the NFL, him, Ryan Jensen, and uh, maybe Corey Lindsley over the past two, three years. So I think the Ravens defensive front is going to be able to stuff the run. Uh, you know, I'm not shocked if Henry Ruggs goes off a little bit, especially if Marlon Humphrey's not in coverage there. But I think the Ravens are going to be able to score. I think they're going to be uh, kind of feisty here. I think they feel really disrespected. And like you said, win one for the boys. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Ravens. Uh, let's go Ravens 29, Raiders 22. Let's go funky scores. Uh, I think, don't think that's a score, Gami, but something along those lines. And I uh, think it's going to be an interesting game. I think Derek Carr is a smart quarterback. If the Ravens lose this game, I will say it's because the Raiders decide to go tempo and catch a defense that doesn't have Marcus Peters and maybe some younger players on the field able to do some things similar. When you've got those veteran quarterbacks, if, uh, if you recall Tom Brady in that Sunday night matchup a couple years ago, I think the, the number one weakness for this defense, if they're catching a rhythm, is to just start going tempo. They can't blitz like they usually do. Catch them in a bad alignment, and Darren Waller can make you pay. So uh, I think Jake and I both have a win. 
in lockstep there. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. BD was great. Big, big shout out to him. Again, these injuries do suck. Gus Edwards, you know, J.K. Dobbins, Marcus Peters, they're, they're fucking awful. So you have every right to, uh, you know, be upset about that. But football is here. It is kicking off right now. We masterfully played this, Jake, so that we can watch this game ourselves. So without further ado, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show and get us out of here, Jake boy. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you really enjoyed. Uh, go ahead and follow us on the social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. I am at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-U-E. Spencer is at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four. Follow us on Instagram at Baltimore underscore Beatdown underscore podcast. I uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in for this one. This is a jam-packed episode, a little bit of a different one, going live impromptu, talking about the injuries, talking about our predictions, talking about the uh, predictions for this coming week, this coming Monday night game. So definitely an interesting one. Uh, hopefully the game is going to be interesting and plays out to our predictions. We'll see what happens. But uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, my message to you is, A, hang in there, and B, this is DEFCON 4 time. Scarface, final scene, bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Strap in. It's going to be quite the season. So we will talk to you guys again on Tuesday with our recap pod of Monday Night Football. Until then. Football is here. Be excited. Be excited. Football is here. Collinsworth has officially slid in, uh, as we have seen on Twitter. And uh, so I guess we should probably go get to that. In the meantime. See ya. Arrivederci. Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.